and good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Harrison Smith back with episode 38 of Cinema. And uh, again, this is brought to you by Dark Matter TV. Dark Matter TV is a streaming platform where you can find not just current genre entertainment and horror, sci-fi, thriller, and action, but also classic content that takes you back to the great old days of late night cable and finding those cult and classic films that they just don't make anymore. Available for download on Android or Apple or visit darkmattertv.com. It's free, it's fun, and it's gonna grow. So in preparation for this, I've, I've tweeted out a couple questions here and there uh, ahead of this episode asking really a very simple question that the main one was, can a video game qualify as cinema? And when posed with this question, the only one that I can think of off the top of my head, going way back, of course, to the, the foundation of, of the video game movement, is the Atari 2600 Pac-Man. If any of you remember getting that cartridge and bringing it home, which really was the most anticipated video game at that time, Pac-Man 2600 for the Atari game system is the Jaws the Revenge of video games. <laughs> So to go ahead with all this and put it in proper historical context like I try to do with talking about film or, or anything along that line is uh, the background of Pac-Man. And I lived in the Poconos in a small town in the Poconos and we had a big mall. And of course the mall was the, the hub of, of everything, social life at that time. And one of the most booming hopping places in the mall was the arcade. It was called Time Out Arcade Tunnel. And it was down way at the end of the mall and, and it looked like a big, uh, round, kind of like a, a highway tunnel with a rainbow going over, a very 70s-like rainbow going over it. And I'll try to find some photos of that somewhere along the line. In the beginning, if you may remember, uh, video games were very limited. And it was Space Invaders that, that kind of really broke everything open in the way of popularizing you know, the arcade stand-up video game. Now, I, I know there were more than that. And there was the Sub Hunt and Death Race 2000. But Space Invaders, I remember, took everything by storm. And, and just to give you an example, another big social hub for us was, was our local skating rink. It was called the Big Wheel. You got to understand something about the Big Wheel. This is all part of the atmosphere and why video games were important. And I, I swear, even today, if you walk back into the Big Wheel, it's like 1978 again and Jimmy Carter is still president. You would go in there and it was all very dimly lit. And over where they had their lockers... There were these like big mushroom seats and they were like made of shag carpeting. They were covered in shag carpeting and it was all dark and dim and it was a perfect makeout spot when, when you're a young teenager like I was and very horny and randy. It was great, but they installed these arcade machines and the number one arcade machine there was Space Invaders. And then if you remember, they had deluxe Space Invaders where it was color. It wasn't the monochrome kind of Space Invaders original machine. Basically, same game, but now in color. So video games, we were watching. I was there on the forefront of watching the evolution of video games. And I used to go there all the time just to play Space Invaders. I couldn't roller skate to save my life. So I was there to either make out with girls or play Space Invaders and look how cool I was because I could score over 100,000 points on Space Invaders at that time. So video games were starting to become a very central kind of thing in, in the socializing world of, of the American teenager in the 80s. 
With Space Invaders, we kind of all thought this was the pinnacle of video games. And then, down at the mall, they introduced a new video game. And they called it Pac-Man. And it was in color, and it had a lot of sound, and goofy music, and little intermission animations. And it just took everybody by storm. Now, I want you to understand, the, the major machines down at the Time Out Arcade Tunnel were a lot of those like uh, uh, shoot 'em games. They had like a rifle on on a, a pivoting stick, and you fired, and and it had some basic video action, or there was skee ball, and then of course Space Invaders. So you, you weren't seeing the full Atari explosion or Nintendo explosion at this time. And there are all kinds of theories as to why Pac-Man just proliferated and altered the the video game and socializing landscape. And is it because it's just basically a kind of video game of consumerism where all you do is consume. You eat, you eat, you eat, you eat. And and has a very basic pattern. Almost anybody can pick up Pac-Man quickly. It wasn't very complicated. You just simply move a joystick and guide that little yellow guy running around all over the place and just avoid the ghosts. Now, the research I did, and, and I do remember even talking about this as a kid with other kids, is the original name of Pac-Man was Puck-Man, P-U-C-K, Puck-Man. But quickly, people adapted that into Fuck-Man. So they altered the title and just simply called it Pac-Man. To this day, I don't know what a Pac is. Why is he Pac-Man? What species is Pac? I, I don't know. Most of us know Pac as Political Action Committee. But it worked. It didn't matter. I had a name that rolled off your tongue, and it was colorful, had lots of bells and whistles, and it was simple to use, and it was addicting. Let me tell you how addicting this was. My brother, my younger brother, was not a reader. I was a huge reader, and I had just discovered, in like seventh grade, I had discovered Stephen King. Basically, between sixth and seventh grade, I was devouring anything that Stephen King was was writing. I remember Night Shift and Carrie and Salem's Lot and and all of that stuff. Whatever King was publishing, I was reading. But my brother would not read, and he looked for any type of way to avoid any type of book reports or whatever we could just take the easy way out. The one book that I know he read for sure was How to Win at Pac-Man. My brother wanted to just knock the register on the high score up there at the arcade. So that's how addicting the game was. Now, another example of how addicting it was and why I gave the location of the arcade is the arcade was way down at the end of the mall. And by standards, this was not the Galleria or something like that. But it was pretty much the biggest complex in our town. So it was huge. And where the uh, arcade was located, we had lines for the Pac-Man game stemming from that arcade all the way through the mall, all the way back to a department store called Hess's at the time. That was our local department store. And I'm going to say that was the length of about two football fields. And that was how many people were standing in line. The arcade actually had to break out velvet pole stanchions to keep the line organized. And Pac-Man, which came in as two machines, doubled to four. And they didn't even bother moving those games into the arcade, they actually moved the four arcade stand-up machines out to the entrance of the timeout tunnel where kids could just come up, grab a machine, and start playing. And then they instituted game limits. You could only play twice. 
Now, kids also started doing this. They would take their quarter and they would put it down on the the top of the machine where the joystick was on the panel. And that was to reserve your game. I I don't know how that really worked in the way of, uh, you know, making sure your game was reserved or why you needed to do it. But it was kind of a sign of territoriality is really what it was. Your quarter was down the machine. And if somebody came up to stand there to play it, they saw your quarter was down. You're playing the next game. But this thing instituted a video game frenzy. And those four machines eventually went up to six machines. And while you're thinking that is nothing for... It's, it's all relative for where you live. For our town, that was huge. And here's the other thing. As far as I remember, at that point in time, we only had several places of, of socialization. We had the mall, we had the roller skating rink, and we had the bowling alley. And the roller skating rink and the bowling alley did not have Pac-Man. So the mall had locked up Pac-Man. I don't know how they did it, if it was some kind of special deal with Nintendo. I have no idea. I remember when Disney's Tron came out. And, and, and I remember Tron was a big deal at the time simply because of its reliance on computer graphics. And I'll be getting into the, the importance of graphics and how it entered into my lexicon in a moment. I remember sitting in the theater and people getting excited because you, if I remember right, you see David Warner in the foreground. And in the background on the control panel of, of whatever he was standing in front of, you could see Pac-Man just going waka, 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 waka. But I remembered the audience reacting going, oh my God, Pac-Man. They were more excited about the two second cameo of seeing Pac-Man in the background than they were about the entire motion picture. That is the kind of excitement and impact that Pac-Man generated. It's important for historical context to kind of put this all uh, really into perspective. And that is, the arcade Nintendo stand-up Pac-Man machine was very much like Jaws in the impact that it had on pop culture. And that's why I'm saying, you'll see where I'll draw the correlation, that the Atari 2600 version is Jaws the Revenge. But here's some more context for you as well, too. When Pac-Man really debuted, I was in like eighth grade. So I was really young still. And although I had discovered girls and I was going crazy for girls and blah, 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 blah. And I was making movies at that time. I had a silent Super 8 film camera. Pac-Man was cool to go up to the arcade and play. And eventually those lines whittled down. And as the machines started to proliferate through town, the, the craze, the original frenzy faded. And, and it wasn't hard any longer uh, after a while. I'm going to say about a year to get to a Pac-Man machine and just walk into the arcade. You might have to wait, but overall, it, there were no more fights and, and frenzy and like, you know, the, eventually what will happen with Cabbage Patch Kids down the line. So it was the early 80s. I was young. I was in eighth grade. I discovered girls, but I enjoyed video games. I, I didn't love them, but I enjoyed them for the socialization aspect. Now, my brother, on the other hand, became obsessed with them. And it was all about video games and I remember him talking about something about his fascination with graphics. And my brother actually started to research this kind of thing and understand the evolution of video games. And he kept saying that, oh, you know, this one's going to have better graphics and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, graphics, what are you talking about? And, and he said, well, you know, you're going to make movies 
and you, you should really know what's going on here because graphics are how the, the video game looks. And he started giving me almost like impromptu tutorials on this. And it was then that I realized my brother was starting to become an expert on video game systems. Now we wanted an Atari 2600. And when that came out, it blew everybody away as well too. And I'll get into that in a moment. But before that, there was something called Telstar. And that was where you could play Pong or hockey, Breakout. But it was just simply you had a paddle and a dash on the bottom of the screen or on the sides that represented players and a ball that went. From one side of the screen to the other. That was the variation. And although by today's standards, extremely dull and uninspiring, and it was monochrome in the beginning, there was one kid who had a Telstar system in our entire neighborhood. I lived in a development, and this kid became the shit of the neighborhood. Kids all of a sudden wanted to go down and play with this kid because he had Telstar. That's how addictive video games were. And my brother was one of the first to get hooked on it. it Considered Telstar his first hit off the crack pipe. From there on, it, it went. So when Atari announced a 2600 gaming system, the first home video game system like it, my brother went nuts. And that was our big Christmas gift of 19, I believe it was 82. That was our big gift. Now the Atari it debuted earlier than that, but we finally got it. And if I remember... Uh, finally, I remember the price tag on that system was $150. It may have been a little bit more, but that was a lot of money in late 1981, early 1982. And, and that's my point. Yes, we got the video game system in late 1981. It was huge. I mean, the cartridges were expensive, and, and we, but we all thought that you know Atari had it all locked up. I mean, Asteroids, the video game for Atari 2600 was... Close enough to the arcade game. The, the arcade game was monochrome in the beginning, but it was addictive and it had a cool kind of vector graphics system. The Atari 2600 wasn't really vector graphics, but it was pretty much close enough. It mimicked that very simple game pretty well and gave you some color and splashes of color and, and it was acceptable. And I remember playing Atari, uh, Asteroids, and, and a number of adaptations of, of video games. And I did notice, I was like, well, they're not exactly like the arcade, but again, close enough. Because those games, while they had their impact, they did not have that gigantic pop culture impact that Pac-Man had. For my brother, it was all about the graphics, the graphics, the graphics. Oh, this has got cool graphics, look at that. And then Activision came along and they started producing uh, what were considered the higher level Atari kind of game systems where my brother again exclaimed over the graphics of Pitfall and Kaboom and, and things like that. So I was seeing this evolution in the consumption of video games. Now, I was getting older at that point in time too. So I wasn't this little eighth grader any longer and again, discovered girls very early and I was more interested in having a girlfriend than I really was sitting down and, and playing video games. But my brother would sit in front of that Atari game system from the time he got up until like my mom got home from work in the summertime. One time my mom came through the door and said, how many times today did you actually get up from that game system? And my brother replied, basically simply to eat and go to the bathroom. And my mother went over, pulled the plug from the wall, 
killed his game, which he flipped about and said, get the hell outside and you're not touching this for the rest of the week. She used to have to go totally draconian on my brother. For me, I'd play games. Sometimes they piss me off, which I didn't like playing. Why am I going to sit down and give my time to something that's going to piss me off? And most of the time, I just was able to walk away from it, but not my brother, who was always in search of the next best graphics. At this time, Atari ruled it all. Yes, I know there were other video game systems. I remember there was Intellivision, and I forget who made that. I, I forget what company. But they also created a flood of a knockoff or, or licensed game systems. Sears had one. Intellivision also had one. It was a, a Magnavision or, or something like that. It, it doesn't matter. The point is that the market slowly started to become flooded, even though Atari was still at the top of, of the slag pile. Um, other stuff was coming in, and, and they were all looking to be different. And I remember there was Omni and and all kinds of different things. And they, they tried to do different variations of basically the same games. That's what I remember. And I was on the decline in having interest in this stuff. I was more interested in the video games of girls. So my brother, however, held steady and fast because he was younger and he was seeing the explosion of technology that was coming out of all this, especially as competition started to heat up and trying to give Atari a run for its money. And I also remember that Radio Shack had like a, a, the TRS-80 that they used to call the Trash-80 and the Commodore 64. And there was all this stuff where these Commodore computers and stuff were all trying to come in with variations of video game systems, merging it with the home computer system, which was still very rough. Look, I remember my brother had some type of home computer system from Radio Shack where you recorded your data on audio cassette tape. It wasn't even like you had a big floppy disk or anything. And in school, just to give you, by 1984, we were still using the Apple IIc and we were still programming things like Run execute and just to get it to add two plus two and playing the Oregon Trail on the Apple IIc. But Atari was still at the top of the heap and they were coming forward with all kinds of different games, Yars Revenge, and my brother was always keeping a pulse. And this was before the internet. My brother knew about this stuff coming down the line before I did. And that's because he was consuming magazines like crazy. Remember, this is a kid who wouldn't read and he's just consuming everything that he can on video games, video games, video games, and what's up and what's coming next. And to give you another example of the video game craze, out of New York, there was uh, the TV station, which is still around today, WPIX. And they had, uh, between cartoons in the summertime and between their programming, they had a thing called PIX, P-I-X. And it was, you could play through telephone voice activation on the phone, you could play a video game, whether it was tic-tac-toe or some kind of space shooting game where uh, a, a flying saucer or a UFO would fly into the crosshairs and you yell, picks, and then it would fire. And then you want a prize. Okay, you have 30 seconds to play. Just say picks to score by hitting the moving target. Ready? Go. how deeply the video game culture entrenched itself into our regular pop culture. By 1982, my mom was riding my ass to make sure that I had money all set to go for a car. I was going to be turning 16 in 1983 and my mom, I'm telling you, it was like almost nightly grillings 
at the dinner table with, it would always start along the lines with, so what are you thinking about work for this summer? What are you thinking about putting away money for a car? Because if you think you're going on our insurance, you have another thing coming. I was expect to have money set aside for a vehicle. I was expect to have money set aside for my own car insurance, maintenance, tires, gas. My parents were not floating me money for anything. And, and most of you sitting out there going, yeah, absolutely, that's the way it should be. And I agree, that's the way it should be. Uh, at that time, when you're 15 years old, you're, you're kind of looking around going, what the hell did I do? And I, I just want to go out on some dates, go to the movies and, and have a good time. And I was 15, so you needed working papers. And I wasn't working an official job. So I made my money through landscaping, lawn maintenance, shoveling snow, uh, all the mandatory things. And then I got a job at 15 uh, under the table washing dishes at a local diner. So I was making money that way and I would hand all of it over to my mother who would dole out a percentage for social excursions. So I had basically an allowance from my own paycheck and my mother was putting it all away in a savings account for me. Now you're thinking, what the hell does this have to do with Pac-Man? Well, it has everything to do with Pac-Man. When my brother, one day when I got off the school bus, my brother comes running up to me and says they're taking deposits for Atari's 2600 version of Pac-Man up at our mall for when it's going to be released so you can reserve your copy, your cartridge of Pac-Man and my brother needed to have it done immediately. I remember it was around like Christmas time if, if I'm not mistaken of uh, 1981, somewhere there. I, I forget when it was. It was right around the time that we got the Atari game system and it was going to be coming out in the spring. I remember it was warm. It was getting warm when they released it. There was this store up in the mall called Listening Booth and it, it sold primarily you know, records and, and audio cassettes. And uh, But they were getting into the video game uh, thing too as well with cartridges. And we lived five miles from the mall. We would walk sometimes to the mall and that was five miles one way up to the mall. Not in snow up to our hips or whatever. But that was a pretty long hike and especially along a very busy uh, stretch of road. So my brother stops me as I get off the bus and he begs me, please help me get this cartridge. It was going to be, and, and I remember this, they were selling the cartridge for $60. Now $60 at that time is an incredible amount of money considering that our whole gaming system was 150 around that at that price range. So you're looking at this cartridge is almost half of an entire game system. And my brother begged me, I'm like, no, I'm not giving you any money. I'm not giving you 30 bucks. And he's like, but you don't half of it. Well, what the hell does that mean? What, what do I do? Cut the cartridge in half? I, I play it half the time? I, I stick half of it into the computer system? That, that does nothing for me. And I remember thinking that I've got things to do with 30 bucks. 30 bucks is 30 bucks at the time. And no, I'm not giving you 30 bucks for a stupid Pac-Man cartridge. And then he said, the graphics are going to be amazing. It's going to look like the arcade. And imagine we can have Pac-Man in our living room and just play. We don't have to stand the lines up at the mall and blah, 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 blah. It was all this rationalization to get me to part with 30 bucks. And I could see how impassioned he was to get this cartridge that I agreed. And I took $30 cash which was a lot. And that really, I mean, I want you to understand why you're thinking, oh boy, big deal. No, man, I was using that to take girls to the movies. I'm telling you, by eighth grade, I was taking girls out for a bite to eat and then a movie. 
even though my mom had to come and pick me up and drop me off. The point is, I was like on the dating scene early and I, and I, I made them real dates. It wasn't like, oh, we'll meet at the mall and, you know, we'll touch hands. I'm telling you, it was, you know, uh, pizza or some type of Italian dinner in one of the local mall stores and then over to the movies for a heavy makeout session where most of the time I couldn't even remember what the movie was about. And one of those movies was the Bob Newhart movie, First Family. I remembered seeing very little of that movie while sitting in the theater with this one girl that I was dating at the time in eighth grade. So that tells you how impassioned I was about my social life and how much that money meant to me. I decided to help. I gave him $30 and he combined it with his and we walked up to the mall with some friends that weekend and we went up and we put the money down for the deposit. His name went on the list and he just was so excited. And I'm telling you, other than hanging out at the mall for a while, that was our total reason for going to the mall was to put that money down on Pac-Man. So we put $30 down and then it was $30 upon pickup. And I promised him I would give him the 30. The point in giving you all of that backstory is I was a burgeoning consumer. I, I was budgeting my money at 15 years of age. I was budgeting for a vehicle because boy, how I would unleash on the dating scene once I had a vehicle of my own and didn't need my mom to drive me anywhere or to bicycle over to my one girlfriend's neighborhood in the summertime. So the cartridge comes out and I remember them advertising Pac-Man and it was a big deal. Pac-Man is coming, March release date, Pac-Man is coming and uh, you know national ads for this and Pac-Man, 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 but they never showed the screen action on the commercials. There were no screenshots. There was no video of the actual play of the game. And I remember thinking something like, that's a little funny. Like, what should it look like? I mean, we just assumed it's gonna look like Pac-Man. And this was getting close to spring. And there were the rumblings in 1982 of, of a new Steven Spielberg movie coming. Now, Spielberg was just becoming Spielberg. And he had come off of Jaws, obviously. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Close Encounters. And this new film that he was doing was called E.T. the Extraterrestrial. People were anticipating it, but I don't think anybody knew it was going to be the monster hit that it was. And I remember that Spielberg was, was already forming his brand kind of thing. That's what it was. And he had Poltergeist in the works, and it, the 80s were starting to take shape. And really, the 80s are all about Spielberg as well, too. Some will argue Star Wars, but Spielberg really is an iconic figure of the 80s. So I'm telling you this for a reason. We go for Pac-Man first. And the, and the argument is E.T. sunk the Atari uh, company as well as caused the, the video game boom uh, crash in 1983. And I'm going to argue right here on this podcast... I believe it was Pac-Man and I'm going to support that. So we walk all the way up to the mall. It was me and my brother and a kid named Troy who was considered like Fonzie of our neighborhood. He was the coolest of them all. And we walk that five miles up to get our cartridge. And we stood in line for almost 30 minutes just to get into listening booth to walk up, hand over our last $30, the balance, and take our cartridge. I noticed, I remembered on looking on the box it didn't really show any screenshots from the game. And, and I remember thinking like, 
this is odd. Like, why aren't we seeing it? It, it, I just, again, I'm going to assume it's going to look like Pac-Man. And my brother was so excited. He couldn't wait to get home. And we didn't have a taxi service in town at that time. So we had to walk home. So it was another five miles back. I'm telling you, we went in, we got the cartridge and we started walking right back home so we could play. And there were about like six kids waiting in our neighborhood for us to return triumphantly, like the Ark of the Covenant, you know, walking in to the mouth of the neighborhood, brandishing the Atari Pac-Man cartridge. Like everyone was waiting for this. They stopped what they were doing and said, okay, you're going up the mall. We're going to wait right here. So we walked all the way back and we even skipped our general store on the way where we could have stopped for a soda or candy or anything. Screw that. We're getting home to play (laughs) Pac-Man. We were greeted like heroes as we walked into the development and kids like clustered around us. Can I see the box? Can I see the box? And we're like, yeah. And we're showing the box and we are going to play at our house because our house was first in the development. So that's going to be ground zero. And of course, we're going to play it on our system. We're going to christen this cartridge in our system, not somebody else's system. So all these kids pile into our house. And I remember my folks were not home. And I'm I'm kind of feeling a little silly about this because aside from Troy, who was my age, all the other kids were younger. So I kind of felt like a, a loser in a way. I remember thinking like everybody getting excited over this. I mean, I was seeing real boobs and, and girls in their underwear at this time. And so to me, this was all kind of silly, you know, on the dating scene. So we go in. And my brother is excited. He has the honor of opening the box. And I remember him even looking at me like, well, you know, it is half yours. What the hell am I going to do? Open half the box? Just open the box. Put the cartridge in. So he opens the box and he pulls out the cartridge. And there it is. Everybody like, ooh. You know, it's almost like he wanted like Lion King, like hold the the cartridge above to, to the masses. And he takes the cartridge and he puts it in. Now we had at that time a 25 inch Magnavox color TV. And the remote control on it was a cable box that was wired to the back of the television and you pushed buttons because we had HBO. That was our only cable service at that time. We had HBO. You had to set the whole thing up, as you know, in the back of your TV, you had the switcher that you had to switch to channel three or four to play your video game system on. Ours was channel three. We always played video games on channel three. So he puts the cartridge in and he flips on the power switch and we wait. And I swear, man, like everybody sitting there was like, <gasps> like, what's it going to be? And it comes up, ba ba boom you know, Atari. So my brother hits play and you heard this. All of us were like looking like we looked at the graphics and Pac-Man he looked like a mutant. He wasn't even round. He was all jaggedy with that that coating, you know, like that that eight bit coating. That that I guess it was too much space to make round edges. I didn't know anything about this with graphics at the time, but my brother seemed to know, and he was definitely crushed because we're looking at this, and the ghosts they're they're kind of blinking, and you can barely see them, and and the sound effects are awful. I mean, here's Pac Man on the Atari twenty six hundred moving about the screen, eating. They weren't even dots. They were dashes. There was no fruit or anything in the middle of the screen under where the ghost pen is. It was like what they called a wafer. What a colossal screwing. But my brother, 
with hope springs eternal, shut the system off and thought, it's got to be a glitch. Like there's got to be something wrong with this. So he reset the system, turned it back on, and son of a bitch, it still sucked. It still looked awful. And folks, that's when I realized, sitting right there, I got taken for my $30. This company screwed me. And this, folks, is no different than how Universal made Jaws the Revenge and screwed you out of your ticket price then because they knew one thing. You're going to buy it. You want this. It has the name brand of Atari. It has the name brand of Pac-Man. Jaws the Revenge had the name brand of Jaws. It had the name brand of Universal. And you're going to buy it. My brother went quickly into excuse mode and rationalizing mode. Well, it's this and that. And they, they only have so much space on the chip and blah, 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 blah. And, and look, I understand that there, there are programming limitations, especially at that time. But come on, man. Do you really think anybody at Atari looked back on that and said, people are going to love this? That's no different than anybody who screened the final cut of Jaws the Revenge sitting back going, oh yeah, this is good. You knew it was shit. You knew it was terrible and you put it out there because you knew people are going to go nuts for it and buy it regardless. That's exactly the cinema that I am talking about. C-Y-N-E-M-A, Atari's Pac-Man 2600 is pure cinema. I cannot describe the absolute disappointment of every kid in that room. And I remember Troy, who was the cool kid of our group, he just sat there chuckling and he went, boy, did you guys get screwed? And I told my brother, never again will I give you money for a video game or any type of thing related to video games or video game systems. I'm done with this. And I lost 30 bucks. And I said right out, let's take it back. He's like, no, 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 we can't take it back. And then finally, he came up with this rationalization. Well, crappy Pac-Man is better than no Pac-Man. So at least in theory, we can play Pac-Man with this very awful version. So it was better to have crappy Pac-Man than no Pac-Man at all. That was the final decision. Well, it turns out that Listening Booth, not long after the game came out, started posting signs. No Pac-Man refunds. No Pac-Man returns. Then they eventually relented and started taking back the cartridge, but they wouldn't give money back. That's what I remember. They were allowing a store credit swap for how much. I don't know how much they were giving toward the Pac-Man cartridge, but it was definitely a lesson of buyer beware. Now, a lot of people are going, yeah, but E.T., E.T., E.T. Let me put it to you this way. Pac-Man had huge expectations because it was so indelibly burned into our conscience. There is a huge margin for error on a video game adapting a motion picture. Atari had done that a number of times with like Indiana Jones and Superman. And look, we were kind of used to that. Like you're not going to take Superman the movie and turn it into an Atari game and it's going to look great. Like you pretty much expected it to look like it did. And the Indiana Jones one the same way. So when they announced that they were going to be making E.T. into a video game and just because the movie was this gigantic, it was really the first big gigantic smash hit movie of the home video generation. The mediums really were not transferable. 
as much as they wanted to hype up E.T. becoming a video game, you knew from Superman and Raiders of the Lost Ark and stuff like that that there were definite technological limitations. So the expectation, at least from my perspective, was not that high for E.T. I also believe, and, and I'll stick by this, that there were elements inside of Hollywood that were just waiting for Spielberg to fail at something. I mean, yeah, okay, he didn't get the Oscars that they wanted for Jaws and and so on and so forth, and he kept being denied. But there were people that were highly jealous. The politics inside that industry were highly jealous of, of the phenomenal success that Spielberg and teaming up with Lucas had on the industry. They, they were dominating everything. So when E.T. came along and it was rushed into production to capitalize on the film's success for the Christmas season, everything was E.T. If, if you remember, it was all E.T. I believe there, there was that element that was just looking for Spielberg to get a black eye. And the failure of E.T. was not going to be a death blow to Steven Spielberg, but I'm sure there were people that were very happy with the flop of the cartridge. And, and I know the legends, and I saw the, like I said, I saw the documentary uh, that E.T. was such a colossal flop that, you know, the desert landfill was just filled with cartridges. And, and that appears to be true. But E.T. also gets the stigma of being the cause for the crash of the video game market. And, and I don't believe that's what it is. I personally believe it was Pac-Man. And the reason why, again, is that the technology is not transferable. Pac-Man was a video game. And so when they translate the video game, like they did with others, as I said, with asteroids and all of that, you're willing, especially for the technological limits, and as much as my brother was an expert on graphics and I was not, I did expect some limitations to the game. I don't think anyone expected it to look as bad as it did. There was someone one time on Twitter who tried to get on my case about Jaws the Revenge and say, oh, you you just can't dismiss Jaws the Revenge as cinema and garbage uh, because, you know, a lot of people worked on that. Like, you're talking to somebody here, a filmmaker, who doesn't know and understand how a movie is made, okay, buddy? I get it. There were a lot of people involved and there were people that made props and all that stuff, and I'm not dismissing their work. What I'm saying is the sum does not equal the parts in Jaws the Revenge. It is a garbage motion picture. And I'm even being nice calling it a motion picture because I don't believe it's a motion picture. It's a tax write-off. And I feel that same cynical attitude went into Pac-Man. And the attitude was, we're going to make a lot of money and we don't even have to try. So yeah, were there people that worked on Pac-Man that that probably worked night and day to get things done? Maybe, but the end result was a total screw job. In the end, it doesn't matter how hard somebody worked if there was a conscious effort never to really do a proper job in the first place, whether it's by the higher-ups and the executives in the company all the way down to the distributors. They knew they had a dog, and that's why quickly the policies went into action about no returns, no refunds. So I would be very interested to know where they buried all the Pac-Man cartridges because we weren't the only ones standing up in line getting that cartridge, and we weren't the only ones who were upset about it when it was all said and done. Look, when you first bought the Atari system or the Sears knockoff or whatever, it was the the Atari 2600 and whatever name they called it that was licensed out, it always came with a free cartridge. 
And by the time that we got it, it was Space Invaders. That was the free cartridge in our Atari system because Space Invaders had faded away and it was no longer the the lock hold on the arcade. Pac-Man was. And earlier when it first came out, it was Combat, the tank game. Guess what? By 1985, when Atari was still trying to hang on, they were packaging their systems with Pac-Man coming with the system for free. So that tells you the quick fall from grace from the most anticipated game release of the year. And it goes down to just basically a freebie thrown in with the package on a fading game system. Atari's Pac-Man for the 2600 gaming system is the Jaws the Revenge of video games. E.T. deserves some shit, but I don't believe it was the thing that sunk the entire video game boom in 1983. I am going to dole that responsibility over to Pac-Man because Pac-Man chewed up my 30 bucks. This is Harrison Smith. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to another episode with you next week. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give a rating and review. Cinema is also available on YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Google Play Music and more. Check out my cinema blog on horrorfuel.net and download Dark Matter TV for your Apple or Android devices.